0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 352nd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that fails to sell overpriced cardboard with the best of them. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter, my co-host, is Derek the Dark Mage at OkoAssassin on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering.
1: Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Another week, another controversy. Looking forward to diving in, talking about this week's developments. But before we do that, I do want to remind listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored
0: by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed products, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number five, during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Derek, what is on the agenda this week?
1: Well, James, we have our usual four segments. We're going to kick things off with Segment 1, our MTGO metagame week in review. After that, we're going to move on to Segment 2, where we talk about the top movers of the week, and we'll share our insights about why we think these cards saw significant gains. After that, we're going to talk about our cards to watch in Segment 3, where we'll share what we have our eyes on at the moment and finally we'll wrap things up with segment four where we talk about topics of the week and this week uh in particular we're going to talk about 30th anniversary sale and some of the uh, rapid reactions and our reactions to what occurred this week and then also talk about the status of dominaria remastered which has uh, been production delays and we've kind of been in and out and so I want to get your take on where things stand there so with that why don't we move on to the mtgo metagame weekend review We've got the Modern Challenge
0: from this past Saturday, November 28th. Looks like they got their act together on the posting site and seems to have they seem to have the top eight in the proper order. Um, very uniform-looking Modern Challenge on Saturday. We had three Black Red Scam decks in first, third, and fourth. That's a deck that basically didn't even exist a year ago. Uh, and Blue-Red Murktide was in 5th, 7th, and 8th. The only other two archetypes to appear were a Mono-White Hammer Time build in 2nd and Blue-Black Mill in 6th.
1: Yep, it was pretty straightforward, honestly. I'm um, not a lot here to, to talk about specifically, but yeah, I think still every every week top deck lists are changing. We see a lot of the same repeaters, but see, it still seems healthy. Seen quite a lot of testing going on with new Brother's War cards and uh,
0: very curious to see how many of those will float up to this level just looking at how grief is doing borderless griefs have been had peaked around 27 or so in late September and they've been kind of drifting back down since I think that's uh, around the time it was called on cast if I'm not mistaken and the foils look like they got up to around 47 or 48 around that time and have drifted down a bit since but if the black red scam deck is doing this good then uh, that has to be a card to watch
1: yeah i mean grief's great all the free elementals are great they're gonna all bounce up and down as time goes on but over time assuming they don't see a secret layer reprint i think yeah those keep growing and the i mean we're already now what year and a half into modern horizons 2 roughly so we have there's nothing on the schedule for next year that says
0: uh mh2 new cards are likely to see a reprint so secret layer would be the primary threat because we're not getting an official Modern, Modern Horizons 3 in 2023. We're getting the Lord of the Rings set that goes straight to Modern. So it yeah. might have some key reprints that have Lord of the Rings names templating on them. Same thing as they, they've done for things like the new Transformer or Secret Layer cards we're going to talk about
1: later. But what interests me is is that yeah, the, as Modern Horizons hits the two-year mark, that's where some of the yeah. supply will start yep, to dry yep. up. And then it pressures the normal versions, which then pressures the Borderless. Yeah, the funny thing though is the two-year mark is also where the
0: reprint risk kicks in because that's what we saw for Modern Horizons 1 was that by the sure. time they got to TSPr and then Modern Horizons 2, they, they were already offering up reprints of key cards. Now, that's not going to hit everything in those sets, but the elementals have to be on their radar as cards that could potentially spike hard in lieu of aggressive reprint schedule because they're seeing such heavy play.
1: Yeah, everyone knew they were good. Pre-cards are good. These were good, especially there. I mean, there's some that they I think people thought were better than others. I would guess Fury would be one of those that, you know, is doing much better than some people thought. But I know Solitude, for example, when you talk to the testers, some of the pros that are on podcasts, they knew it was good um, going going out of testing. That was one of the ones on the top of their list. So and same with Endurance, just flexible and versatile. So those. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Those are probably on the top of the list. But I think just generally Modern Horizons 2 you know there's a lot of supply out there it's one of those that i think even for people i expected a strong supply it's even more than i think a lot of people expected but eventually it will come to an end this is kind of the time horizon that we start to see that but even on on that i mean we look at commander legends some of the products that have seen a lot of supply come into the market takes a lot of time to recover um you know when you just dump a lot of supply in the market it takes um you know, more than just six months of oh look everyone realizes it's done let's pick things up when there's just so much out there it just naturally has to take you know 12 18 months to really um, push the limits beyond you know just kind of modest gains you only
0: really see the quick rebounds when wizards underprint something on purpose like they did with tspr or modern masters
1: 2017 yeah yeah
0: so looking at this modern challenge, if you get down to the top 16, it actually gets more interesting. 14th place, we had a blue-red Breach deck that was updated to include one Mishra's Research Desk, which is an uncommon from Brothers War, one Cast and Cost Artifact, one Tap, Sacket. exile the top two cards of your library, choose one of them until the end of the next turn. You can play that card, and then it has Unearth for one and a red. If you've been playing Limited in this format, you know how good that card is and they were pairing it with another Brother's War Uncommon. They've got Third Path Iconoclast, the only Brother's War card I specced on so far, and they were playing three copies of that alongside Emery, Thassa's Oracle, Ragavan, and the usual suspects from that deck.
1: Yep. it's I mean, different iteration. A Third Path Iconoclast has seen play all the way back to Legacy. Card is good, right? It does what it does better than any other card out there, even better than um, Young Pyromancer because Pyromancer only looks at instants and sorceries exactly so and on top of that this creature uses artifact creatures which sometimes is irrelevant but in decks like this where they're relying on artifacts in some ways uh, for example in grinding station every single time an artifact comes into play it untaps grinding station so when your uh your one ones are coming in it's untapping grinding station every single time and so um it just naturally combos off with Mox Amber, so it just adds resiliency and redundancy to that deck, which was already very good. Yep, yep. On over to the Pioneer Challenge on
0: the Sunday. This one looked pretty pretty par for the course for the most part as well. We have Lotus Field in first, Blue-White Control in second and third, Bant Spirits in fifth, and Black-Red Midrange in eighth, Grease Fang in seventh. But the 4th and 6th place decks were at least a little bit interesting. The 6th place deck was Blue-Red Drake. I call it that because I didn't see any Phoenixes in here, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was Ledger Shredders and Crackling Drakes as the primary threats, along with 4 Fable of the Mirror Breaker and I guess 2 of Hall, Hall of Storm Giants in the land base. But all the rest of it was Blue-Red control
1: elements. I I didn't actually catch that the first time I looked through it. It's weird to see Arclight not in that list, but... They did well, so maybe we'll see more of that. I know ArcLight was was dominant in the regional qualifiers last weekend, uh, two weekends ago. This last weekend in Australia and some of the other places, ArcLight did very very poorly. So it's just one example of how Pioneer metagame. Even though it's, I wouldn't say solve, but the meta metagame is roughly established each week. There are we are seeing developments every week, kind of countering the uh, prior week's results so here arclight did really well i'm assuming there were some big targets on its back so this deck might have been a, a way to still play that you know red uh, blue archetype but to dodge to the hate to to arc phoenix the other interesting deck
0: here in this pioneer challenge was the fourth place list which was a blue black rather than blue white control list and they were doing this to get access to two notion thief three baleful mastery 4 Fatal Push, 3 Rona's Vortex out of Dominaria United, and 2 Ritual of Suit, which is destroy all creatures with converted mana cost, 3 or less for 4 mana. Yeah, I've certainly been at the tail end of Narset and Day's Undoing on Arena
1: before, which is never pleasant. It's, it's interesting. So Notion Thief is kind of closer similar at least to opposition agent in some ways right they're they're different cards so for those who haven't seen notion thief is uh, one blue one black two colorless flash for a three one human rogue and when it uh when an opponent would draw a card except for the first one they draw each turn or during their draw step i should say uh instead that player skips the draw you draw the card so essentially you're stealing their draws which is a very powerful effect uh, depending on what they're doing. So if they Treasure Cruise, for example, you play this in response, they don't draw three, you draw three. It is just absolutely punishing. That said, with it being four convert meta cost, that is something that hasn't seen a ton of play, but it is everyone's dream to be able to play this card if you're a control player. So I love seeing this. I hope it sees more. It seems like something that has done well because not a lot of people are playing it. And if, they, if others were, then it wouldn't see as much play. But um, I know... Gabriel Nassif has been trying to kind of play around with the blueback strategy. This might be coming from some of that, but love to see it doing well and love to see for uh, Narset part of the Veils, which is a card that is infinitely frustrating to play against, but is great to play on your side of the, on the board. Yeah, yeah. I landed a
0: Notion Thief in the EDH game against the Pro Traders this weekend, and it always feels nasty slash good to drop one of those and play. Groans mm-hmm. all around. Which makes it worth the price of admission. Moving right along, we've got the top paper movers of the week. Cityscape Leveler out of Brothers War going from $5 to $7. I've seen some multi-format testing. People have been fooling around with it in Standard. And I've seen streamers messing around with it in Pioneer and Modern. Uh, This is a big, huge artifact creature that I think, I can't remember if it exiles or destroys permanents every time it attacks. And I think is it also when it comes into play? I think it's cast or uh, attacks,
1: so... So it's kind of like a little, a a mini Ulamog. Right, and then all, it's, so it's non-land permanent, which does limit the ability somewhat, but um, when you, it has unearth, which is important uh, because, you know, it just provides extra value if it, you know, it doesn't happen, Uh, but when you unearth it, it attacks right away, so you both cast it and attack, so you get to blow up two permanents, which is pretty potent. Then we've got Essence Sliver Extended
0: Art Foils from Secret Layer. Not Secret Layer 30th, but just the Secret Layer add on cards. Going from 24 to 36. uh, The harder to find slivers that they've been slipping into recent Secret Layers have uh, done pretty well price wise. Just isn't that many of them floating around. Starscream Power Hungry out of Brothers War. This is the Shattered Glass version that's harder to pull out of the Bro products. Went from 12 to 18. I had the pleasure of playing this in my Joda the Unifier Transformers deck this weekend and was one of my favorite Transformers. And Other people at the table agreed that it seemed like a really good EDH card because it has this really interesting dynamic where it puts the Monarch into play pretty early in the game and then... It kind of gifts it to somebody early, and then you steal it back with Starscream, and then you start getting benefit from additional benefit from being the monarch. So I think Starscream's got legs even outside of Transformers-themed decks. we've Got a Reaver Titan all out of the 40k set, going from 5.50 to 9. That's 63% gains. Also Thunderhawk Gunship, three to five dollars for 67% gains. This is people going after 40k cards, as far as I can tell, uh, as opposed to there being massive demand on these cards from players.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those where all these 40k cards, I think the wave, I think people are assuming the next wave isn't going to come. But people like me have 20, 20 full sets of commander decks coming from Amazon that have been delayed for months and months and months. I just got another update from Amazon that... It's indefinitely delayed, but it's coming at some point. So once those land, I think th- there'll be another resupply. These things will create more pressure. Long term, you know, search foils seem to be popular, relatively speaking. For these unique cards, I think they'll do well. But short term, I think some of these might fade.
0: Foil Mystic Forge Retro pulled out of Collector Boosters for the Brothers War going 6 to $10. That's going to be early targeting in a mix of legitimate interest from people building artifact related decks coming out of that set. Um, Always a good card to have on the table if you want to draw additional value off the top of your deck in an artifact heavy deck, especially we've got shark typhoon. This is the secret layer card. I think I called on cast last week and the non foil extent uh, borderless versions went from 11 to $20. I had called this to hopefully get down closer to 7 but it seems like people will push it up in the other direction instead, and I doubt you're ever going to get an entry at 7 at this point. So, yeah. already sitting around $20. There is still, you know, unopened supply that is yet to hit the market. I don't think Europe has gotten their orders yet, um, and I suspect that that's true of all international orders, so there will be some counterflow of this product back into the North American market, I would imagine, throughout the rest of Q4 of this year, and maybe Q1 of next year to a certain extent, and we'll see how it plays out from there. I mean, if you were in on these in the $9, 10 $11 range, and you can unload already in the 20 to $23 range, then you're
1: already doing super, super fine. So you can just go
0: ahead and exit and roll on to the next thing.
1: Yeah, I, but the supply on these are pretty low. I mean, just generally, not this specifically, but the supply on, on these 30th end editions right now are, are pretty low relative to what you'd expect. And so... Um, I think we'll see more of these cards on the list going forward, and I know these are things that we've had our eye on at the moment. Arkham Dagson out of Cold Snap, we talked about a couple last week
0: or the week before, and it's continuing to push up on Bro Artifact Deck hype for mostly for EDH, I'm sure. Thirteen to twenty five this week. We've got Brotherhood's End, the sweeper slash artifact destroyer out of the Brothers War. Two dollars to four dollars uh, on the back of probably mostly standard EDH play, I would imagine, and possibly a bit of speculation if people think that this is gonna be a, you know, four to six dollar card, they're happy to snap it off at two and then buy list it for three fifty or something.
1: Yeah, it's been seeing some pioneer play too, which which helps. Um, it's just a reasonable sweeper that has some flexibility. Um, I don't think it'll hold its kind of current position in the meta, but Arclight Phoenix in particular was using it uh, because the prior version, like Anger of the Gods exiles, which Arclight doesn't want, but this just does damage, which it does want, and it kind of provides some counterplay to um, some of the, you know, one to three mana artifacts in the in the format. Elspeth
0: Suns Champion, Borderless versions out of that 30th Anniversary Secret Layer Advent Calendar, 25 to 52 on foils. That's for sure targeted. There's nothing specific going on where people need Elspeth all of a sudden. This is just people thinking, hey, there was only a 30% drop rate on these foils, and some of these are really unique art for very popular cards long term. I'm going to go ahead and snap off 10 or 20 copies for inventory.
1: Yep. It makes me wonder what would have happened if we had Old Border... Um, Karn and Teferi that were actually in foil because those of course only came in non-foil. Those are already $30. What would they be in foil? I don't know, but probably pretty reasonably expensive.
0: I would imagine that the fancy Karns that are floating around and this Great Creator we're talking about are somewhat held back from the rumors that it might catch a ban in at least Pioneer. And, And it's naturally limited usefulness in Commander given that only some of its functionality works there.
1: Yeah, so I've been I, on my Karns in particular. I've been cutting the difference, so I've kept more premium versions, which I think are a little bit more insulated, and I've been selling all of my kind of basic war edition ones, which I bought for like ten. I think I exited at sixteen, so maybe a couple bucks a piece, something like that. But just to limit my risk and exposure, because I do think people want to see bands. It's just the culture these days. And they just gave out a Nyxos promo, so they don't really want to ban that as a result. But if they hit something about a green, Karn seems to be the, the obvious choice.
0: Wrapping this top paper movers list up, we've got Crypto Thrall, Surge Foils out of the 40k, Premium Sets, $6 to 20, that's also going to be 40k targeting slash artifact decks getting built. Season Dungeoneer Extended Arts out of Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate 250 to $10 on the back of surging legacy play for the white initiative decks and then I have no idea what's going on with this Resolute Vegisaur Galaxy foils this is an uncommon if I'm not mistaken not a mythic or something weird and and people went after the galaxy foils as a, as a cornering the market type spec pushing it from
1: 8 to $50 yeah, I mean, this is a 3-3-for-3 three, three, three trample when you roll dice, add a 1-1 one, one counter onto it. <laughs> that, that seems like trash. Uh, maybe there's something I'm missing. <laughs> it, te- it tells you a lot, though, about the state of legacy that I was like, well, I better
0: check the legacy list.
1: Like, sure. <laughs> did
0: somebody figure something out with Vegisaur?
1: Yeah, yeah. the legacy, I so I played, I finally had to take the time to figure out what was going on with this model whitelist legacy so we talked about it a little bit last week uh with the season of dungeoneer and the other card that's similar where you're taking the initiative and just essentially accruing value and it was impressive i will say but it's still a derpy kind of mechanic where you're you know you're you're putting in a three three for three or three four for four and eventually grinding value to a point where your your opponent can't keep up um the way the reason i think it's so powerful is that once you hit the final initiative trigger it allows you to search your library for the i think the top 10 cards put one of the cards into play and so what you do is once you finally hit that stage you just put another initiative card into play and keep going through the pattern And so even, you know, a lot of these cards, you know, you get some value and it goes away. Here, if you don't clear the board and you don't stop people from taking the initiative, you just keep grinding value forever, essentially. And so um, the card's real. The uh, the legacy challenge this week, which I know we didn't talk about, but had several of these model white versions in the list. Uh, But we've already started to see adjustments against them. Uh, For example, the... i can't remember the name the, the two mana enchantment from Modern horizons put into play it's an enchantment everything loses their abilities draw a card that's really good against them where you know they, they play this three three for three and all of a sudden you make it not do anything uh that is very hard to come back from so we've already started to see some adjustments but it is that deck is real i think and i think we're gonna see a lot of it next week in that eternal weekend all so moving on to top magic online movers what do you got for us this week yeah so we've had a couple movements uh big movements there's been a little small changes but the big ones were children which we've talked about on cast uh this has finally hit redemption period so i i think i talked about this a couple weeks ago uh the redemption sets were down to i think 108 tickets at the time which is equivalent of probably 75 dollars since then the redemption has started so people have started to cash out sets and and for real cards so you take the online cards get them for physical cards uh and as a result the online uh, uh the online value started to sync up with the paper value more accurately so we saw children move from about 50 tickets to 72 uh in the last uh eight or nine days for a 44 percent gain obviously this has to do with its competitive play as well but really i think this is a, a fact of redemption. Uh, starting to pressure those sets. So now the uh, a value of a Dominar United set, instead of being 105 tickets, is up to 122 tickets and climbing. Uh, so that that ability to redeem profitably is starting to get a little bit um, less and less possible. But uh, we'll start to see those Dominar United cards continue to gain, I think, over the next couple of weeks. Next up, Ovar. Uh, we've talked about this before but it had a huge gain this week going from 26 to 45 uh practically selling out at one of the major vendors for a 73 percent gain this is really again going back to modern sideboard play mixed with just very limited availability it's a mythic from a very short printed set at least on magic online less so in paper Uh, and finally finale of devastation we've seen this move in the past but once again the asmo food decks are coming back uh spike had a very popular rendition of this going the top 16 of a modern challenge recently so we saw that move from about five to 17 tickets for over uh close to a 300 percent gain so anyone that got in early there and saw his action uh, definitely was rewarded Alrighty, so transition
0: over to cards to watch here stuff that uh, is on our radar as potentially sweet pickups for the mid to long term I'm going to kick things off with some pretty obvious stuff. Necropotence foils. These are the borderless ones out of the 30th Advent kits. Necropotence is in 60,000 decks on EDH rec. 6% of all black decks run on the card. And keep in mind that in these Advent calendars, there was only a 30% chance of pulling a foil version of one of these cards. So as opposed to your usual secret layer where you may, may or may not end up with, you know, a 50-50 split or a 60-40 split or... You know, we don't really know how many foils versus non-foils are printed, but it seems to work out relatively evenly in a lot of cases for the key ones because when you look at total number of units posted to TCG player, they're often pretty equivalent. In this case, they are not. Um, they It truly reflects the the 30% drop rate. This is the best-looking Necropotence we've ever had. It's selling briskly. There's a steep ramp forming. So I think for people to get in and the you know, anywhere from 42 to $50 range, depending on where you're buying them, and then look to sell in the 70s, maybe even up into the 80s at some point, seems very reasonable to me, especially
1: if they leave Necropotence off the reprint agenda for the coming year. Yeah, Necropotence is a card that you look at and you have to read several times to really understand. That's not something you're going to put in every set where you want people to have to understand it. So this is a good product for that, but um, I don't think we'll see it a lot in the future. It was already very expensive this is a premium version that is not too much more than what it was previously for the non-foil regular version so i agree i think the low supply on these is very is lower than i would have expected and maybe that's because some of the inventory isn't posted yet but um, i think the foils in particular for these cards that are in demand in edh are kind of rocket ships over the long term so completely agree on on necropotence
0: All right. Talk to me about your first one here, which is, uh, I think I pick I made in borderless foil version this spring and probably cost people some money. So let's see what you've got to say.
1: So uh, bootlegger stash in uh, non-foil borderless, specifically going from $7, which is about where it is now, to $15. Um, And this is because I, I, you know, this is one of those cards that had hype like crazy when it came up, but the the card just it didn't not live up to the hype, but it was just a normal card, right? It did its thing. It's in a solid number of, uh, EDA track decks it's in 17,000 decks, but there was a ton of supply of this card. And so it went from, I think the borderless at some point was like $30 or so. The regulars were 25. They just crashed. Um, and so they're now down to, the, I think the regular versions is down to about six. The borderless is seven, seven and a half, uh, roughly. But uh, the reason it, it got me triggered on this card this week. Is that the um, regular version started to uh, not only stall out, but seen a little modest increase over the last uh, couple weeks. And so it kind of triggered my flag is, is this the low because this is a card. It could cr- produces treasures. Treasures are evergreen. They're very powerful and it's splashy. Uh, this is a mythic, which means even though right now it seems like there is just a ton of supply, um, which there is, there is supply. There's no rush here. There's 150 vendors for the borderless version specifically. Uh, it will take a while, but the the walls of the Bordos are not crazy. And if you look at the buy lists, Card Kingdom has a buy list right now of like five fifty cash, so it's pretty comparable, uh, relatively speaking, to the current TCG player uh, price. If you can get them cheaper either via buy list or you know overseas, you're doing even better. And so I think over time, um, you know, this will continue to see gains. The seventeen thousand EDH rec number is low because it's only representing the last eight nine months of this scene play. So if you extrapolate that over the next two years, which is what EDH Reck data usually captures, I think it's a lot stronger and sees more play. Uh, So I think over time this will continue to do well. And if you look at the numbers of copies sold for either the regular or the borderless non-foil, they're they're both selling at a very steady clip. So even though the inventory is deep, I think we can grind through that over the next 12 months or so uh, for a significant gain over the next 18 it looks like I called this back on episode
0: 328, June 14th, but according to the sheet, I, I chose regulars, which seems a little unusual for me, but I'd have to go back and listen to double-check if that was accurate or not. My target buy price at the time is marked as in yellow as at $12, which said, it's going to go down, don't buy now. And in fact, if it was regulars, it ha- didn't just stop at 12 it got all the way down to 6 And... There's enough supply of the regular copies sitting around right now that I'm in no rush to be picking them off. The foil borderless, however, are at that $12 target price point. There's about 90 to 100 listings near mint. No major walls, and I would imagine these will drain slowly over time. It's, It's a pretty unique effect. The art's nice. It's not a broken card by any means in a lot of decks, and certainly not in CDH, where it doesn't finish the game for six mana. But in decks that are power level five, six, seven, eight, this can do a lot of work. It does a lot of work in my Corvold deck, does a lot of work in my Ginny Fey deck, because if you need, if you have major benefit from your commander for sackable tokens or artifacts coming into play, this puts you in a pretty good position. One of the only things that holds it back a little bit is that it's in green and not, say, blue. If this had been a blue card, you would see it having even deeper play because it would slide into all of the artifact centric decks, you know, Brea and the like, that can make use of cycling artifacts for other artifacts out of the yard or out of the deck via, you know, fabricate or shape a new type effects, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Stash is very good. It's, you know, seeing plenty of play in EDH. It's unlikely to see much play anywhere else. I think we've got some more time on this one. I bought some early, probably too early at this point i'm still a believer in the card but i'm looking to wait all good yeah. and, and well worth bringing back up since it has in fact you know seventeen thousand edh wreck in the first six months is nothing to sneeze at people were saying yeah. this was going to be a nothing card and no one was going to play it and the other half people were saying it was going to break the format
1: neither were right it's just yeah. a very good card yeah and I, so I'll, I'll bring up a cautionary tale just to give you an example so i usually love mythics they're usually completely off the reprint list for years um, but Lithiform Edgin just got announced as included in um, one of the commander decks that was in Zendikar Rising. It's a mythic, it's artifact, colorless, everyone can run it. It was fine. It kind of stalled out around 8 $9 and just sat there for a long time. Now that it's being reprinted in a commander deck, I think that'll continue to fall and continue to have pressure. And so that's, that's the worry here, right, is that it's a green uh, specific card, It maybe it just kind of lingers around that seven eight dollar mark, and if it gets one reprinting a year or two down the road and never sees pressure enough to sell, then maybe you're just stuck holding into that crash and you never are able to recover your gains. I don't think that happens here. I mean, who wants a six mana enchantment in their starter deck? I don't. I don't think a lot of people. But you know, you never know. But I I do think that was that was one example of of several I've seen lately where you know this and. Uh, we'll we'll talk later about some of the secret layers that we've seen double reprints of cards um, that that are cautionary tales for some of these mythics that usually I would have said we're good to go absent you know something major you're good for 24 48 you know 36 months sometimes we're not seeing that lately which scares me a little bit not gonna lie
0: yeah I mean I'm I'm totally non-plus to be honest the the idea that there are more reprints than there used to be is true but there's also way more cards and that's the part people don't don't add to the other side of the equation like the reprint pace if the reprint pace had stayed consistent since from 10 years ago we would be dealing with spike after spike after spike after spike because they're printing so many new cards and many of them are uh, power creep based cards that disrupt displace other cards in relevant formats and so they become must acquires think about your things like a smothering tithe or a teferi's protection like if you're in those colors in edh you're for sure running that in your deck and when they print cards like that everybody's got to get them so there's been like six or seven versions of teferi's protection since it was printed because it soared the year after it first came out as every single white edh player rushed to buy it and it became a priority reprint something like lithophore engine surprises me a little bit that it caught a reprint but not really because it's it's a colorless card that can interact with a bunch of things that happen in your average EDH game. And one of the things that removes protection from a mythic is if it stays in the 5 to $10 range. Because that's that ideal sure. pocket where they want to throw it into a $30 or $40 commander or precon, And ensure that when people are reviewing those on YouTube, they are going, oh yeah, there's more value in here than you're paying for which doesn't fully reflect what's going to happen to the values of those cards in three to six months after that deck comes out. But they're not going to burn reprint equity like Fury or Solitude or Grief on a commander deck like that. because and, And it's even tough in secret layers. Not impossible because we've seen it, but less likely for expensive mythics to show up in secret layers because that's reprint equity they want to save to sell expensive sets, premium sets like your Double Masters 2022, your Lord of the
1: Rings, your MH3, that kind of stuff right i mean the, i think the thing about the lithowarm engine example is that it came out i mean zendikar rising feels like forever ago but it's only september of 2020 right so it's been just over 2 years which means they made the decision to reprint that minimum probably what a year ago i mean the the timelines on these things are you know uh, obscure but they definitely take a long time and so that that's i think if it was 3 years in and they had seen the price point they knew what it was at and they made the conscious decision of this is one of those that like middling mythics we can do it it's colorless whatever but two years in that's it's a tight turnaround um and you know i mean some of these we've seen uh, just to get into some of the other secret layer stuff i just saw dark steel i don't want to confuse the two dark steel colossus getting reprinted in a secret layer this week for a second time it already has secret layer this is not a huge card i mean people know of it but it's not in a lot of decks the price point's not that crazy and they're reprinting it in a second secret layer in the whatever year and a half two years secret layer has been around that's concerning to me you shouldn't you shouldn't have that where you're you're double reprinting these cards or bird of paradise has gotten double secret layer treatment and others um similar to like uh double treatment of Goblin Engineer getting two back-to-back borderless. And I think that was a miscommunication. But still, those type of examples makes me, again, which we've talked about in the past, really want to focus in on those premium cards that are, you know, either so obscure that people aren't going to want to reprint them or so good that they're clearly going to make it and you're going to have your exit before uh, needing to exit early. Yeah, I mean, again,
0: I just think it's a complete non-issue. When people get burned by a spec, there are certain personalities that can't handle it. There's people that even if they're doing well overall, the fact that they bought something at four and it went to two instead of going to eight just weighs on them. And they check, they, they check it on their phone every day for, for days or weeks or months. And it's just a complete absolute waste of time. If you cast a broad net and you follow general best principles in in this section of the hobby, you will do fine. They are not reprinting everything. <clears throat> it may feel like that. People talk like that's the case, but it's just not true. Darksteel Colossus, yeah, it caught a secret layer printing, but it caught it two years ago plus, like in the early days of secret layer, and it's not an important card. It's not a card people should have been specking on to begin with. Now, Blightsteel Colossus, which is also in this thing, and we'll get to that in you know that full analysis in a minute. That's more surprising. In a secret layer, because borderless blight steels are eighty to one hundred dollars right now at a double master's, and the foils are well over a hundred dollars. So, getting a Megatron blight steel colossus is a pretty big deal, which which also marks m- marks that secret layer as excellent value. But let's get through the rest of our cards to watch before we dive too much deeper into that. Uh, I've got Deathrite Shaman as my second selection of the week. Another one of the secret layer thirtieth advent cards. This one has. Shows up in even more decks than Necropotence does. Talking about sixty-five thousand EDH Rex also sees Vintage and Cube play. It is banned in Modern. Is it banned in Legacy? Uh, it is. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So if it wasn't banned in those two, this would be even even more of a slam dunk. But just the EDH uh, and Cube play alone, with this really sweet art from Mark Riddick, and the fact that the supply is already quite low. We're down to twenty-eight listings. There's only starts at 19 or so and so i guess i should say 19 to 40 here instead of 18 to 40 and i'll be very surprised if this doesn't make the leap up over the course of say anywhere from 6 to 12 to 18 months given how low this supply is looking now this could backfill from additional copies as we talked about from overseas but
1: i like the odds for a really fancy looking death right shaman yeah, it looks great. Um, you know, I, I can't really speak. I'm mean, I guess I'm, as much as how it is playing in EDH, but I do hope, and I think over time it ha- might have a chance that Deathrite will see play in Pioneer. Uh, to be determined. It, it see it saw a little bit of play in some of the um, kind of graveyard based synergy builds for a little while in kind of fringe ways, but never in a in a real concrete way. But I think you can get the right tools in place that maybe it sees playing pioneer and if they do if it does that adds um some icing to this cake here but i think it's probably gonna get there regardless so um yeah. i think yeah. there's plenty of cards to fill the yard for
0: pioneer given all the stuff that i've seen in in draft uh in green black themes over the last 18 months or so i'm c- confident you can fill the yard quickly in the format i think the question is what what is your payoff for doing that
1: beyond death right you know what's your hogak yeah i mean so it's a value card right it always has been it's about it's basically supposed to be the one man of planeswalker where you're being able to you know be anti-burn if that exists in the format be able to be anti-graveyard if you need to be and then also be able to ramp um so if he, for example here you could play this into stitcher supplier be able to get ramp right away and then over time use your graveyard to your advantage um so you're kind of doubling that stitcher supplier for example um so i think that's where it shines it's not when you're relying on one ability but you're being able to leverage most of them over the you know over the meta so that in each matchup it shines in a different way right now i i don't think that's the case uh the the grease fang would be the the prior primary example where you're able to fill the yard you're already working on it and it doesn't see play there and if it doesn't see play there it doesn't see play anywhere uh but all it takes is one car that synergizes with us to be able to maybe take it over the top so i i hope it sees play at some point i'm not confident it will but if it does i think that could really add to it here all right, you've got a synchronized follow-up here. What what card are you offering up as your final selection? So I'm going to pick the card that sees the most reprints of any card I ever notice, which is Sun Titan. Uh, Sun Titan is everywhere in every commander deck ever, but the art is always the same. It's always the same boring art. It's always... You know, medium, it's usually non-foil, and there really hasn't been a premium version of this, Um, and so there is now a premium version in the Secret Lair 30th edition, which is, I think, pretty cool art. I'm not sure if others agree, but it's very unique relative to the normal art of sun titan uh and the supply is relatively low the sales are very strong and so i have this uh, foil version of this secret layer of sun titan going from about nine where it is now to 20 roughly for 100 percent gain uh this is one of those cards that's in a decks and some of that goes back to the fact that it is in pre-cons but some of it goes back to it's just a great card and the only reason it isn't expensive because it, it gets reprinted into the ground um, so, and when you look at the supply, it is very low for the foils, just like many others we talked about. So, I think over time, the the supply will drain, and because it is so popular, unless there is another unique art that comes out in the next twelve months or so, you should be able to recoup your money and make a profit over the next twelve months.
0: Yeah, that seems perfectly reasonable to me. We've also got a pro trader mtg price pro trader member pick this week dragline geo has submitted assassin's trophy borderless foils currently down to seven dollars from double masters that came out two years ago down to 99 listings on tcg player and he figures in the next 18 months or so these can go from seven to about 15 which seems pretty reasonable to me it's in 125,000 decks on EDHrX, so just behind Sun Titan, and in twice as many decks as Necropotence or Deathrite Shaman, uh, which marks it as a pretty key staple in the format.
1: So this is the borderless version. I'm looking at it right now. It's a cool art. I'm not sure what it is. It's got like it's uh... got it's got Vraska
0: and a big thing she turned into stone.
1: Yeah, yeah, big, that's what it is. Okay, I like it. Um, so to give you a little bit of perspective, the very cool secret layer art for this um is twenty one dollars on Card Kingdom. I'm, I'm looking at Card Kingdom. I'm not sure why. Uh, but that version has seen a significant premium. Um, because Assassin's Trophy is kind of ubiquitous. Uh, it is, you know, it's seen a little less play, competitive play over time, but it is still everywhere. Um, and I think hopefully they stop printing it i think that's the one thing that is potentially holding this back because it saw the double masters reprint it saw the um, secret layer reprint and if they get one more i think it might start being pressure supplied but the art art is unique and this card is is very important um so i think it could probably get there for sure i mean seven dollars is pretty cheap for a um competitive i'd say former staple with a lot of price memory and huge EDH play. Personally, I prefer the art from the other secret
0: layer printing. Um, that one currently goes in non-foil for 19 I don't see a foil listed for that, so I'm not sure there were any. I don't believe there were. And it's got about 100 listings as well. So I would not be surprised to see the, the Double Masters printing drift up towards the, the other secret layer printing. I think the question here is timeline and is the card too much of a staple to the point where they'll give us another fancy version. If we're talking about cards that could very easily show up in additional secret layers, this has got to be on that kind of list. Like this is in that swords to plowshares, fatal push path to exile territory, where you're just going to see it over and over again in fancy version.
1: I think overall long horizon. Yes, it is a rare. Um, so I, I think you dodge it for 18 months. I think. Um, so I think some of it is a matter of timing, correct? Yeah. So you're
0: right. If, it, if it's a if it's that recent of a printing, I think it's more of a, a case of he can probably wait. He and or listeners can probably wait a little while. We're still looking at price weakness throughout the rest of this year, heading through the holiday season, as people need to redirect their hobby funds towards buying other people gifts and covering off credit cards and the like, and you know covering holiday travel. So the trophy looks like a good personal pickup right now at this price in terms of a spec. I think you're given that there's also a foil etched version out of this set and the secret layer printing. You can probably take your time scouting it out and take another look at it in three or six months.
1: Yeah. And honestly, I think what I like a little bit better is the non-foil borderless. Um, You're competing with the secret layer, but the price is so cheap. It's not really a competition. And right now, Card Kingdom has the non-foil borderless on buy list for four dollars cash. You're able to get that at five ish, five five or six dollars um, at TCG. You're at least so, a little covered. Uh, yeah, so you're you're kind of covered a little bit. And but I agree. I mean, timing wise, like we've talked about for double masters, particularly for the rares. I think you have until December, January before these really start to get under any serious pressure. Right now, people are spending money on the holidays... Um, well, A, it is December tomorrow. We're recording this uh, on November 30th, so we're a day off. But I a, I can't believe it's December. Crazy. Uh, but I think you have all of this month through the holidays and into early January to start picking up double masters things. I think they're all going to be under price weakness. Like you mentioned, we're already seeing that. Uh, but once the, the um, tides start to turn, you start to see on the mover and shakers with list for any given week, a couple double masters cards that will promote other double master cards joining the list. As people start to look at those cards and over time, then all of them will rise in, in price. So I think you're trying to get in before that starts happening, uh, but not before the, you know, you don't want to catch a falling nice. You want to get in before the, the boat is rising. So I think you can wait a month or two, maybe more depending on what the supply looks like. But over time, I think this will be okay, especially in non-foil.
0: All right, so let's move on over to our weekly topic. We've got the Fallout from the 30th Anniversary Sale. This was one of a few different products that Wizards had coughed up, and it has been very controversial right from the moment it was announced. It was basically a reprinting of alpha and beta with a different card back that people, led people to calling it a proxy since it wouldn't be officially recognized for tournament play. And they wanted $1,000 per four Brewster packs. Because of the nature of those sets and how swingy they are, uh, opening those sets was very much like a scratch lotto ticket. A lot of the early YouTube coverage of people doing so was very disappointing to watch. And it might be, I mean, its it's hard to pin this down because there's been a lot of controversy with Wizards over the years, but it might be the most controversial product of all time.
1: Yeah, I think that's... I think that's accurate, honestly. I, and there's been a lot of controversy, but this is the first one that it seemed fairly universal, fairly loud, and really surround sound from all different areas of the community. So
0: they finally put these up for sale on Monday, and the way it went down is our, the, those, those few pro traders that were willing to jump in and actually buy any at the $1,000 price tag were in pretty quick... It was very easy to get through the queues. They were like adver- like saying that you'd be in a queue for four minutes and then 20 seconds later you were in and purchasing. I bought one single pack at $1,000 for history, posterity, science, whatever you want to call it. We've talked about this product ad infinitum inside the ProTrader Discord and nobody's very excited about it in terms of, oh, this is going to be a huge moneymaker. My original prediction that this was going to, on Twitter, like the day they announced it was something along the lines of, this will sell out... Then it will FOMO hype spike. Then it will slide back down into obscurity and then take a long while to push back up to some kind of like hyper profitable position. And as time went on and, it, and the community made clearer and clearer how toxic they considered the product to be, it just became less and less attractive for anybody that was even remotely interested in flipping it, which is exactly what those people wanted. And that's fine right? Like, the the market should decide, or at least influence to some significant degree, the kinds of products that they are offered. That's, you know, a, a positive and productive process in the marketplace. And from the MTG Finance perspective, vendors and speculators don't really care at all what specific thing, you know, that they invest in as inventory. They just want something, right? And most of the chatter inside our Discord was, well, there's no real reason to push a lot of chips in on this thing because it's not a great product. People consider it toxic and then there's these other good products which Wizards really didn't get enough credit for. The 30th anniversary advent calendar at 150 that's going currently for I think 190 to 200, very very good value there and they've also got You know, Brothers War is a great set. It's got great inserts, the chase cards, the schematics uh, numbered to 500 have been very popular. The Shattered Glass Transformers have been very popular. And we've also got new secret layers that were announced today that we'll talk about shortly that also look pretty cool. So it did look a little sketchy, though. And this is a good time to remind people. I've spent 20 years in e-commerce. Like, I've been commenting on this all week on Twitter, and people act like... (laughs) As they tend to do in social media that my commentary is guesswork it's it's not guesswork folks i know what i'm talking about here they pulled this sale i say this with confidence first of all the sale was only up for something like 35 minutes to 40 minutes we were tracking the order numbers that they were issuing through pro traders and other people that i talked to around the world that had ordered and had the date stamps the time stamps on when those orders were processed so we know that the maximum order gap that ever existed was something like two to 3,000 orders, okay? People had data. The rumor was that people had data mined scale fast and that there was never more than, you know, a few multiples of that worth of inventory posted in the first place. It looked very suspicious to me because they pulled it from Europe and the U.S. pretty much simultaneously which is not what you would normally expect if that inventory was split and the European inventory was going to ship from within Europe. Now, if the, that inventory was going to ship from within the US overseas to Europe, that's a different matter, because it would be unified inventory. And I right away went on Twitter and said, listen, they, they definitely pulled the sale. And people said, no, no, you, you, you're just trying to spread a conspiracy theory. <laughs> and it's like, last week, you were mad at me because you thought I was pro this product. This week, you're mad at me because you think I'm negative on the product. First of all, pick a lane. And secondly, neither of those things was ever true. I'm just trying to make sure we have a intelligent discourse about the product, that people understand what's actually going on. And in fact, one of the marketing, ex-marketing managers at Wizards was on Facebook later that day, commenting that he thought they for sure pulled it. And that he would have done so in that position. And that he hired the person that replaced him. So he has a pretty good sense of what went on. And that he figured that he, he made further comments talking about how it's in their best interest to make sure that this product makes people money if they buy it. So they're going to do what's necessary to make sure that happens. I'm not sure. I so sure I agree that they have that power. Because the only way that I see that likely to be the case is if they don't release any more of it. Like if they take all the rest that didn't sell. And that's the one part we don't know the we don't know that part of the equation, right? We don't know did they print 30 20,000, 30,000, 50,000, 100,000 units. When we did the initial analysis inside ProTrader, I said I thought it was about 30,000. People like Cliff said they thought it could be 50 to 100,000. I said that's too big a project size like that that would put this up and above most of the other non-standard releases of the year that doesn't really make sense to me when they're stretching so hard to a thousand dollar price tag because when you go to a thousand dollars per product per unit your number of participating parties in your normal market will fall dramatically like you're talking and as we saw something like 99 percent of players probably avoided this completely so in that situation 20,000 30,000 units you can convince me that's in the realm of possibility this from what we saw with this sale it could have been as low as 10 to 20,000 units and so now the question becomes are they going as i said on twitter are they going to
1: discount bundle or burn it so let's talk about those options so what do you what okay so first question what do you think it costs to print 100,000 units generally like what's the downside so my assumption has always been that they're gonna overprint what's cost per unit e- e- oh just no generally so like if they burn 90 percent of the inventory are
0: you talking about production
1: costs or are you talking yeah, about production project cost. costs including overhead production costs so i so the Very reason cheap. i bring it up yeah because in my opinion if i'm Watsy, i don't have any idea realistically you can make assumptions but your assumptions are just that they're assumptions you, you don't have any idea what the product is actually going to sell the the, the four pop the four packs and the external packaging
0: all of that is probably production costs less than ten dollars okay
1: so if you have if you print 100k right and it's ten dollars a piece that's a million what a million or a hundred thousand dollars in production costs who cares so no, no, it's, watched, no, no no it's no no
0: it's 100,000 units.
1: Right? Yeah, I guess million,
0: million in production. A million production costs. And and then you've got but that's not project costs, which is the cost that actually matters. You still have marketing, you have um logistics, you have shipping. There's a third party third party logistics company
1: that's all fixed fees, right? Generally. I mean, there's some, some variable costs there, but you're going to still promote it the same. You're trying to make it a success. You're still going to do the marketing. You're still going to do the design. You're still going to do the artist. So the only variable cost that's substantial is the printing. So if I'm Watsy, I well, print. Okay, no, no, no.
0: First of all, let's, let me, you can finish that point, but let me back this up because I want to get accurate information out there. That's not true. The, when you're talking about something like artist licensing, because those licenses are very old, they may have had to renegotiate some of those. When you're talking about internal staff time on project, if those are salaried people, yes, that's not not a variable cost as relevant to the project necessarily. Although, you know, it has impact because it pulls them away from other projects. But I'm talking about there is incremental cost for things like marketing budget. Like promoting this specifically required a bunch of ad buys. And they also had to pay off social media influencers to promote the product and so forth. So there are large-scale incremental costs for launching a project of this type. But let's say that variable costs, some total, were something like 2 to $3 million. There's a very good chance that the sale that we saw only generated that much revenue. Now, they still have a whole bunch of printed units, presumably, that they have to figure out what they're going to do with. One of the other things that we saw was 800 units showed up on a e-commerce platform in Singapore that is a official wizard store in the region. And when I flagged it on Twitter and other people echoed that flag, they went from what seemed to be 800 units nine sold down to 791 to the product page still existing but the product taken off sale. In Japan, same thing. They they had the product up, but the there was no way to check out with it because I suspect that at post-Singapore, keep in mind, this was all happening overnight in Asia. Like they were loading up inventory in the middle of the night as tends to happen for a, for a drop. And then Asia was going to wake up like six to 10 hours later. The Japanese sale didn't seem to go off at all. It has a date uh, stamp on it that it was going to go for 30 days, but it doesn't seem to have ever started. So you have another potential couple thousand units that they were trying to unload in Asia. And then we have always assumed through prior conversation uh, on this cast and elsewhere that they would be distributing through major events for the rest of the year, right? Because we knew that the premium packages at Vegas got, what, two packs or three packs or something like that? I
1: think they got four... Did they get four. I think that no, they did get four because it was more than the cost for the beta uh, or for the Black Lotus package, which was seven hundred. So they made people made money on, on signing up for that package. So I'd, I'd
0: have to double check if they got three or they got four. But <clears throat> the bottom line is they got a lot of added value at the top end there, <clears throat> and with a bunch of major events lined up for the rest of the year, we would expect that some of that will go on as well.
1: Yeah, I, I think the the assumption has to be. They're going to keep some of this product for giveaways, for booths, for 10, 20 years from now when they want to open the vault, so to speak. But the big open question is, A, I mean, the language that they used was not, this is sold out. It was, this is no longer for sale. So I think the big open question is, one, is this going to come back on the market in three or six months or two weeks? Who knows? Uh, i have no clue i think anyone that tells you they know is speculating and the language that watsi uses is very obtuse and so i think it leads to speculation naturally but it is definitely just that but in the larger question which we were talking about is what is the print run and that too is again i think a lot of speculation um what we do know which you outlined is I mean, seemingly, we know, based on your analysis, and it seems to make sense based on what we see on Twitter and everywhere else there, is that not a lot of copies sold. So we know that, right? That's one fact, is that there is not going to be a lot of copies initially floating out there relative to what is possible or was potentially possible. So going forward, the question is, what future comes into circulation? And in what methods? Is it on sale? Is it through giveaways? And what percentage of the product is that? And if there is, say, 80 other thousand units sitting on a shelf, what do they do with them? How much is reserved for the future and how much is burned? In my opinion, which I I said before and I'll say it again, Wizards print this to infinity because they had no clue what the possibility was. And if they could get 5% more in sales because they had the product available, they were going to be ready for that. And so I think they printed a very large quantity. And I hope that they are willing to acknowledge the failure of the product burn whatever is reasonable and call it a day whether they do that or not i have no clue but that that's my assumption is that the printing levels and what i hope to go happen going forward i don't agree that they
0: printed it to the moon i agree that they printed a lot more than they sold but i think it's low to maximum mid tens of thousands, like I originally said. Like, I think 30,000 is a very reasonable target number for this project. 100,000 is is too much. You don't want to flood the market with a product like this. You don't want there to be too much. You don't want this to be sitting around. And greed, it's, yeah, they're greedy all the time, but they also have a calculated greed. It's not like we've seen them take things like Modern Horizons 2 or Double Masters 2022, um, or really any of the CBs related to those products or even the standard set CDs, and reprint them. Some of those things have been overprinted versus demand. That's a separate topic. and that's. But these things are still calculated. They don't flood the market with millions and millions and millions of additional units. When they get it wrong, they're usually like plus minus 10 to 15 percent. In the case of something like Commander Legends, Battle for Baldur's Gate, where it was a very poorly received set, maybe they were plus or minus 25% versus demand. And if that much supply had never hit the market, then you would never have seen discounted boxes, right? Like I think everybody agrees that they're overprinting to some extent right now, but it's not nearly to the degree that people might guess it was. And there's also a big difference between overprinting product versus underselling. Like, say that the correct number of units of Brothers War CBs to sell is 100,000 units, okay? And you print 110,000 or 120,000, and then that, that extra 10 or 20,000 rots on the market, gets discounted on Amazon, et etc. People say, oh, look, this set sold so poorly, it's selling for cheap. No. If that 100,000 was plus 20,000 versus five years ago, revenue and your average revenue per user in terms of what players spend on the game is up 67% over over five years or something, you're doing very, very well. The fact that you have overproduced to some extent should not undermine the success of your overall product mix and how it is generating sales. We know that the financial picture for Magic has been an upward tracking arrow for the better part of a decade and really has been in a period of hyper growth since, I don't know, 2010, 2011. And they, they absolutely have issues in terms of how much more whales can swallow. They have issues in terms of replacing the younger part of the player base. They have issues in terms of finding the right balance in terms of printing printing supply so that distributors and big vendors don't get caught holding too much and have to lose money on discounting it out the door on Black Friday and so forth. But they're doing a lot right while they're doing some other things wrong. So let's get back to the discount, burn, or bundle. I suspect some amount may be destroyed, but we'll probably never have good information on that. Discounting it seems extremely unlikely because it's not crazy if you look at it in a microcosm and you just want to unload as much of this product as you can. But 30th edition is not really about 30th edition. It's about setting up fresh price tiers that target whales that they can do at least once a year. And in their minds hey, maybe we could get get away with this quarterly if we can figure out what to feed them. So to discount it after the fact would shoot all of the people that, you know, all in quotations, because it's not apparently just, you know, maybe low thousands of people that bought it uh, in the foot for, for paying full price. And if they didn't price match, they would just get raked over the coals all over again. And it would just set a terrible precedent moving forward where nobody would ever trust them to buy one of these high-end products in the future that might be a much better formulation. For instance, you know, lots of people have said, you know, if this had been a Cube product with different backs, no one would have even blinked and they probably would have done very well at $1,000. Like if it was Vintage Cube for a 1000 bucks, it would have sold out Yeah. at, so, at I... some high number of units sold. So the most likely is that the stuff that we we refer to, which is that they're going to keep giving it away at events. It's going to be in prize packages for winners of events. It's going to be in high-end attendee packages for major events. They might choose... Keep in mind, they were always planning on distributing some of this for free to LGSs. And now that's really kind of a question mark in my mind, whether they're going to follow through on that, because it's so toxic. Like, do LGS owners even want to put this up on the shelf behind the counter?
1: No, I think they sell it online.
0: Uh, right. So then right. they're getting this free product, but then they got to sell it online. But they're if that's what happens, if you set, send out, I think they said they were going to send, I can't remember how many boxes it was. I was yeah, gonna, have to, I'd have to go back and double check. But let's say it was four boxes per WPN LGS. That might be something like ten thousand boxes that would show up on eBay overnight. eBay slash TCG player. And then that just floods the market again. So this whole thing gets very tricky because I think, you know, at one point we heard a rumor that they were shopping this around through distribution to major vendors. Like they were thinking that maybe they would dump this on some major vendors in the U.S. to some extent. And they were even looking to market up. So that option would... I would imagine would be largely off the table. I don't think most, you know, I don't think a cool stuff Inc. or a star city games wants to take on a large inventory of this because as soon as they start to try to promote it, they're going to get attacked on social media.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I So I wasn't around last week when you talked about the um, kind of stock reporting from, some of the the vendors, you know, talking about Hasbro and what the financial situation is. But I think that's relevant here in that when you're when you're Hasbro or Watsey and you're looking at this in retrospect and trying to figure out, okay, what's the next step, right? This is clearly a trial balloon to figure out what is possible. Is it worthwhile in the future? Is it five years, ten years, or every quarter? You know, when can you res- access a reserve list and in what way? I think the mixture between um, the the Negative reviews from the financial analysts combined with the negative reviews from the player base, combined with the fact that, you know, if it's true, which I don't know if it is, but it seems like there's a sentiment that more people are willing to use proxies and not buy in the secondary market, which obviously doesn't directly impact wizards, but it does indirectly in some ways. All of those things combined, if you look at that in your Watsy and you're making any informed decision, you're saying, well, was this project a win? Is do we want to continue to to think about this as an avenue in the future. And if, if I was watching the short term, I would be like, I, I'm not touching it with a 10-foot pole, right? This is toxic. It is. We always tell people, vote with your wallets, right? The reason that they continue to do Secret Layers and Universe Beyonds and all these things that people go on Twitter to blast is because they are the best-selling sets of all time and people, somebody out there loves it. This is, the I think, the one example we have where people just said, enough is enough. I'm not doing it. And it, honestly, I'm surprised. I'm surprised of the reception. I thought there was enough people out there that, you know, weren't speaking up but were interested. And that didn't seem to be the case. And so going forward, I mean, regardless of what happens with this set specifically, I if I'm Watsi, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, you know what, if, if, non, if people in my own community, there's a Yu-Gi-Oh! streamer who had to pull down their their review of this product and put up an apology the apology when i saw it had eighty thousand views i don't know what it's at now but when you're getting that side of type of, t- type of toxic- toxicity I, you know and you're only briefing whatever i mean if we're saying 10 20 30 million profit when you get that on a normal set why not just do a normal remastered set or completely renovate and change your approach
0: yeah yeah but it's way below that it's not 20 30 million dollars profit I don't even think they're gonna hit 10 million profit on this that's and what I, I'm saying so and in fact, so in, fact up, in fact in fact most of it is likely going to be out out the door as a marketing expense because it'll be part of yep. these giveaways and packages and so
1: forth right so I mean we talked about previously okay so do we see guys cradles in this version do we see all these other things and you know are people willing to in, in uh, whatever Tabernacles and all these other things if, if I'm looking at those products now, I feel much more secure in the next five years. Who knows? Watson doesn't make good decisions sometimes. but
0: I mean, anything could happen now. And if they had that planned for next fall, which I think they did, they could well be rethinking how they might right. formulate the product. Because I think the issue here isn't that they offered up Black Lotuses with different backs. I think it's the formulation. Like, I've gone on record saying that if they had done doub- Double Masters 2022 renamed it 30th edition it came out this summer it included all these cards as chase they were signed by the artist or something nobody would have been complaining i agree nobody right set was the exact same thing as expeditions
1: better. right yeah. i mean just you throw them in or or the legends cards the legends cards granted they're real they're from a quote-unquote vault whatever it was almost a similar i mean yeah the proxy well, they were basis, from a warehouse
0: was, a warehouse
1: right right All of that aside, I mean, like, the proxy thing is the only difference. But other than that, that had really great reception. Why? Because people like pulling very expensive cards from very cheap packs. It makes it a lotto ticket. When the lotto ticket costs $250, you're going to the casino. You're not going to the gas station. And that just is a totally different demographic and different experience than it is with the lotto ticket.
0: It's a poorly designed product. And the funny thing is I've been accused from both sides of, of overly promoting the product and overly criticizing the product after I had been accused of being overly critical of the sale and that I was quote unquote pursuing conspiracy theories. I was all, I I then went on to tweet about how if almost none of this product gets opened, then these, the retro power nine especially are insanely rare. Like, unbelievably rare. Like, there might be 100 to 500 of the Retro Lotuses in the world. And how many of those will ever end up market-facing is anybody's guess. A pretty solid amount of them, but not all. Because some will never be opened. Some will be opened and lost, destroyed, and much more likely rolled into collections. People will not necessarily feel comfortable offering them in social media channels like Facebook in a lot of groups because they'll feel like they're gonna get attacked. And so it's even less likely for them to be sold through those channels. So from a collectibles perspective, I'm having trouble figuring out how this Lotus isn't worth money down the road when all the hullabaloo is, is over with.
1: Yeah, it will be, honestly. I mean, we've talked about several examples where you have a limited number I don't care what it is, it's expensive. You had Black Lotus in the mix. You know, people were paying eighty dollars for the Japanese Duel Masters Black Lotuses, which aren't English, aren't real, aren't in a magic bag, and people were for a very short period of time were going crazy for them. Now they're down to I don't know, fifteen or twenty bucks, something very low. But here you have a real black lotus from Watsi granted the back's different but people are willing to pay for it for international collector's editions why wouldn't they here? they'll be worth money it's just a matter of how long do you have to wait for the memory to pass right because and they'll be they'll be worth money anyway a matter of how long until they consider to see growth how long until they get to their full potential and you know i mean that could be a little while before they continue to grow and, and reach their full potential because you need to have people ditch their understanding of this and say, oh, now I, I own a Lotus, right? Because right now you'd say, if you're a skeptic, you'd say, "I you own a proxy, you don't own a Lotus. But in five years, I can guarantee you people will say, oh my God, you own a Black Lotus. And that's the difference. And I think until that pivot happens, it, it won't realize its full potential, but it'll still be worth a, a bunch of money regardless.
0: traders asked me if I thought they would be worth more than...
1: CEICE,
0: which was fourteen thousand copies total, unlimited beta alpha. I think alpha and beta are very safe against this product. I mean, there's 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 no no question there. Unlimited Lotus, yeah, I think it, unlimited is still trump for sure, and should have a pretty pretty significant price gap. As Unlimited Lotus got dragged up and drags up ICE behind it, I would expect these to get dragged as well. In the end, given its extreme rarity. I I think it's largely going to depend on how the people in the high-end groups on Facebook and that network of high net worth individuals around the world that spend all the money on original magic art, extreme rare test print cards, you know, one-off misprints and all that kind of stuff, you know, many of whom people have, you know, would not know unless they hang out in those groups, how they choose to respond to these cards. Because rarity is not everything. But in collectibles, it is a major factor. So if you only ever see these come up once or twice a year in these groups for sale, they will be jumped upon because they will be parts, of, just from the collectible piece of magic history perspective, they will be desirable collector's items, right? If they yeah. if they show up en masse and there's like 50 different people at a time trying to sell, eh, then they're not going to be as big a deal. But I just don't see how that math works out based
1: on everything else we've heard. So yeah, and we've brought it up before. The example of Hoga—I'm going to butcher the name again. Hogatsudu, how do you say it? Hidetsuku. Hogetsu. I mean, I mean, we're both butchering it, but I'm trying. Yeah, my best. probably. So the red version of that uh, is, I believe, is the most rare. You know, very limited number of copies available. It was the last time I looked about fifteen hundred. I don't know where it is now. That card is. It could be a proxy and it would have the exact same usefulness, right? No one is playing that card. It is there because it's rare. It is there because it's unique, and it's something that represents rareness and newness and uniqueness, and it is very expensive. Again, anyone that thinks that a Black Lotus is going to be cheap is, is fooling themselves, right? This is a Black Lotus. It is the epitome of the game. If you look at even an oversized Black Lotus, like the one that's not real, it's an oversized card, it's who wants that is two hundred and fifty dollars for a light play for three hundred dollars for a light play version. Right? These things are going to be expensive. It's just a matter of how expensive.
0: Yeah, I mean Red at Sugu, there's thirteen listings. They start at about thirteen fifty right now. I think I sold mine at sixteen hundred on a quick flip from a six hundred dollar yeah. purchase locally or something. And they were up to, what, 2100 at one point? Yeah, and then and started to retreat. And we've got other examples of other cards that have been in the, you know, three to $5,000 range before receding back. We talked about Foil Amano last week, mm-hmm. uh, Foil Japanese Force Will, out had a Double Masters, VIP Packs, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, like, people, people think that I'm, like, trying to set up the Lotus, like I own some or intend to. I would certainly sniff around one of these Lotuses if I thought the price was, you know, somebody had a scared and running price or something. But to me, these look like all the other blue chips that I don't put a lot of money into where I, because it's a very, I consider it a slow portion, slow and safe blue chip portion of my portfolio of collectibles. I do get into those things, but usually it's like a CK buy list exit or a trade or something like that. I trade it into a, Mox Pearl not long ago with just a bunch of random 5 and $10 cards I had lying around the house. Yeah, that's my kind of action. But to put 5 k up for this Lotus hoping it's going to go to 10 k and then try to talk about it on Twitter like it's going to influence the end price, that's <laughs> just
1: not my MO. Um, so let's we, play a game. Leave that think for Rudy the, to play. right? What do, what do you think the... I'm just looking at one I was randomly looking up. Ancestral Recall retro frame what do you think the buy list is on card kingdom right now
0: 1200
1: 520 cash 670 credit it's interesting i was i was looking up so one of my proxies to what is power nine going for has been my mock sapphire which i actually bought from um SCG where they were fire sailing you know presumably having caches just because they were just selling everything under the sun over the summer I wanted to buy it from SCG for 4200 and it's basically near mint I think a borderline LP plus um but I've been watching CK's buy list on it because my original plan was to flip it to them and uh, I couldn't because they pulled all the buy lists for Power 9 when the presumably advanced knowledge of 30th edition collectors was coming out so they pulled the buy list couldn't sell it to them once the kind of details were known they put it back on the buy list for for this uh for the mock sapphire it was 5400 cash or 5500 which is where it is now sapphire or ruby uh, max sapphire which is more uh valuable so um, so it wasn't on the buy list when I kind of finally received it in my hands. It came back on the buy list and it's been stable ever since. And they're looking for, I think, three copies. So pretty strong. Uh, so I always kind of watch that as a, a metric of where, oh, yeah. where we're at with power. And Cassie over at
0: TCG posted a
1: big, detailed,
0: relatively thoughtful article today where she was talking about how, you know, people think there's this major impact on the price of reserve list cards from... Uh, 30th edition but in reality a lot of those cards have been on downward trends for the better part of 6, 12, 18 months because they had hit localized peaks during the crypto boom when crypto was 70,000 and all the government money during lockdowns was floating around and you know that pre-inflationary spiral and so they've been drifting down since. And so if you go from like 30th and a, if you try, you know, a hack reporter that's writing an article about Hasbro's troubles this fall, you might go back to the announcement date and look at share price and look at the price of, say, uh, revised underground C and say, see, look, these things are all connected when in fact there's a pre like a pre existing trend line playing out. And that this might exert additional pressure in that direction, but there's no—you don't know that C wasn't already headed there. Yeah, because we're 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 already in a cycle where, first of all, less people need revised duels now than they did ten years ago. That's just indisputable, because so many replacements have been tabled, new sets of lands, tri lands, uh, battle bond lands, etc., for EDH that make them unnecessary. I have them in. Only one or two EDH decks at a fourteen because I just don't need them.
1: Yep. I yeah, yeah. I think the other reason I... I own them is because of Legacy, I, that, and that's part of the reason I only look at Power Nine for the most part, or you know, Wheel of Fortune or something like that, where you're you're really looking at the cards that are irreplaceable either collective, collectively or collectivity wise, or you know, because they do a unique effect that isn't replicable. Um, which dual lands right now, like you said, are, are completely replaceable with very little little downside to your to your deck unless you're playing in a tournament which i'll be curious eternal weekend is next weekend uh yeah two weekends from now i'll be curious to see if that starts to move the needle on any reserve list cards i know i've been seeing people picking up city of traders um because that's one of the new cards or one of the cards in the new white deck that a lot of people, I think, previously didn't have. So I think we might see some minor movement on that. But generally speaking, I, I don't think paper legacy matters anymore. Yeah, I just don't think there's enough legacy play.
0: Yeah, like I, I, I would be more interested in legacy specs on Magic Online related to the white deck than I would in paper, because I just there's just not enough legacy tournaments to, to matter
1: at this point. Yep, yeah. season Dungeoneer is literally sold out of all the vendors at this at this moment. It is <laughs> kind of absurd.
0: All right. And so while we're recording that, we'll, we'll move on from 30th for a second. While we're recording this, I'm being called out on Twitter because somebody stole content from our Discord and reposted it to Twitter. And the content was basically me telling the, the pro traders that there were there was discussion amongst major vendors that Dominaria Remastered had might be pushed back because it was originally scheduled for January. Then we were hearing it was going to be in March. Then it was moved back to January again just this week. So <laughs> someone's on Twitter accusing me that this is all made up. I don't make anything up. Let's just get that out there on the table. If I say something, it's because there are fa- there's a factual basis for it. There's no reason to hype nonsense for, for no reason. So why might I be commenting on the schedule of Dominaria Remastered? Well, because there's dynamic tension between Wizards deciding when to release product right now when everybody's accusing them constantly of uh, pushing an accelerated pace and responding to everything they post on social media with a greed card meme and their need to replace the lost revenue from the failed sale of 30th edition. So there's no direct proof that one leads to the other, but the optics aren't great. Right. I mean, that is that is the most likely reason. <laughs> because they were, as you said, expecting to bring in tens of millions on this project and brought in maybe single-digit millions. And that leaves a gap in the revenue tallies for Q4, which is when a lot of toy and retail companies are trying to put up their best numbers because it's the holiday season and they should be selling well into that hype. And... If they move Dominaria Remastered back into January, then the distributors have to pay their bills in December. Or if the Hasbro year-end includes January, once they ship the product, it'll get booked as revenue, which is different than what would happen if they were shipping it in February.
1: So, I think, I mean, this goes to a larger trend, completely unrelated, but just that people treat WotC as, I don't know, like a a good-faith actor- Right, and not as a company that requires shareholders to be happy and has a stock price, and is under pressures of things outside of their control as well. And you know, i, I mean, anyone that's kind of like, "Oh, this this isn't even possible," it's like, eh, "Come on!" I don't, you know. I mean, a we're all yep. speculating in some ways, right? Like some of this is channel information, and you can only trust so much of it. But to f- say it's like not realistic or even in the bounds of reality, is just—I think—missing the fact that. Have you looked around? Have you seen what is happening? Right? Uh, there is a lot of things that don't make a lot. Well, of sense. and
0: and in the case of somebody directly contradicting something like that that I would say, it can be that they have seen or heard different things from different angles, right? Like, sure. and yeah, and that is... and that for that that information was not circulating everywhere. It can also mean that that a rumor is untrue or misinterpreted or it's fourth-hand information and they've played broken telephone with it. All of this is
1: possible. Oh, yeah. So I work in government relations, right? So I, I go to policymakers and I try to get them to do things. And one of the key things of that is to get information, right? So I'm talking to other you know policymakers. I'm talking to other lobbyists and other things like that. And you're always trying to distill what is real. Right. Because if you talk to 10 different people in 10 different areas, they're all going to tell you something different. And your job is to try to figure out what's real, what is on point and what's the question mark. Right. Like some things you hear, you're like, I just I don't believe that. Right. And you just toss it out. And there's other things, you know, you kind of like that's spot on. I got it. But most of it is just that gray area where you try to take your expertise and your knowledge and your years of experience and saying, what do I think? Right, based on the five opinions I've gotten what do I think and what am I going to tell other people and that's what I think a lot of this is is taking the, the various things you hear from all these different constituencies and say okay what do I think based on the facts on the ground the surrounding con- uh, you know, circumstance and you're not always going to be right but like you know, you're not always going to be wrong either yeah I mean that's that's exactly
0: it I mean we, we try our best to get a hold of the most factual information that we can we share it, if we're wrong, we correct ourselves, re-explain, apologize, etc. I mean, we're, we're trying to create accurate picture of the market, and that's the bottom line. And I don't even think there's any debate that 30th anniversary that was a disaster versus expectations or potential. Uh, just a poorly designed product, marketed poorly, formulated poorly, priced poorly, and, you know, that many, many players are mm-hmm. unhappy about it. And, yeah. you know, we're just trying to put around that, analy- you know, pockets of analysis that provide a fuller picture for everybody. So, yeah, ho- hopefully we and, accomplish and I'll be goal. the
1: first one to say, you know, I'm sure people look, listen back to old episodes and will say, well, you know, Derek didn't have a problem with how they rolled this out. True. Like, I'm also somebody that can afford this product and doesn't mind it right? Like, I'm not the 99% of Magic players who don't want anything to do with this, and so... Um... Yeah, I think that's part of the reason you need a diverse array of perspectives and what you're doing and how you're analyzing things. Because sometimes people be okay with something, but they won't be reflective of the views of everyone else. And so for me, it, was I okay with how they formulated this? Sure. But did I also watch it roll out as like watching a train wreck and going, this is a disaster and it's going to totally change what happens to the product in the next 24 months? Absolutely. So you, you can have an opinion going into something. And you, the, the key is not to be stuck and wed to your opinion, right? It's to evolve as the situation evolves in front of your face and say, okay, well, I thought this, but I was clearly wrong. Or, you know, even if I wasn't, the facts have changed. And now I, I, I need to view as something in a different light. And so I think that's with all of these things. You, you can't be so, you can't look at something and say, I know what's right because right is subjective. And even if you think your opinion is valid, it it doesn't make it true per se. If, right? if so you then... want to
0: build your bank account, your collection, your knowledge base, your contacts, etc., you want to be willing to eat shit when you're wrong. Be humble. Yep. Get straight. Get straight on what's actually what, and move move forward for sure. All right. Uh, I guess that's uh, end of today's session. So where can people find you online, my friend?
1: Sure. So you can find me online at okoassassin on Twitter and. Uh, I, you know, I'm thinking about getting back and streaming. So as soon as I do, I will announce that uh, handle and, you know, get people on. But otherwise, yeah, find me on Twitter at Oko Assassin. How about you, James?
0: You guys can find me on Twitter at mggcritic as well as via my occasional articles on mggprice.com. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mggprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best mgg finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money magic the gathering i should also point out we have a black friday deal uh, for new members if people want to hit me up on twitter they can get ten dollars off their year and uh if they bring a friend we'll give twenty dollars off both of you so find me at mdg critic
1: and you can go from there once again, MTG Price is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best Magic Gathering singles, SEAL product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% on your order and to support this podcast. Well, James, that brings us to the end of this episode. As always, really enjoyed the discussion. Thank you, Derek. We'll see all
0: of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.